Hello, ladies, gentlemen, friends, Red Raiders. This is On Communication, and I am your host, James Loss. Here on the show, we like to talk about all the fields of media and communication at their highest, most intellectual levels with things such as advertising, journalism, public relations, creative media, and so much more. Wherever the research is taking place, we want to know about it so we can tell you about it. I know we're going to have some great conversations along the way, so let's get right to it. Today's episode, we are joined by Jared Foster, an associate professor of practice here in the college. And Dr. Foster, not only alongside all his academic work and his teaching, his administrative work that he used to be a part of, he runs his own business, and he launched that when, Dr. Foster? Uh, I started a photography business in 2005. 2005. So, yeah, it's been a little over, I like guess, nearly 17 years. And was that when you were getting your PhD? Uh, no, it was, it was just when I finished up my undergrad, okay. actually. So, yeah, I took a you know, I took a couple of photography classes and, and realized I, I really gravitated to it and... and uh, you know, instead of going to law school, I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try my best to pursue this for right. a little bit. And so, uh, that, yeah, in 2005, that's when, um, I just started you know, reaching out to magazines and, you know, emulating some, some kind of big influences in my life at the time and yeah. kind of watching their work and seeing how I could jump into it. Right. Yeah. So y'all, Dr. Foster, while he got his master's and his PhD was, trying to navigate this world of running his own business in a freelance style. If you have a personal business, Jared Foster Photography, mm-hmm. it's very much all freelance, quote unquote. And today we are going to talk about how to get your mind wrapped around that freelance world, how to find success in it, the best practices for freelancing, because it's often very squirmy, if you will. Yeah. It's hard to kind of wrap your mind around this idea that, you don't have a boss telling you this is your assignment. You don't have a direction, really. You're you're deciding everything for yourself, and you have to come up with whatever project it is. You have to find the proper outlet for it. You have to make sure there's an audience who wants this thing, and it can be very daunting sometimes, especially if you intend this to be your only source of income. Mm-hmm. So... Rather than sit here and ask Dr. Foster questions about freelancing business, I figured it would be more conducive to the learning efforts of you listeners out there if we were to kind of run a mock uh, you know, workshop on an idea that we have to freelance somewhere in the world. And by freelancing's nature, it's more often than not a creative type project that we are undertaking here, whether it's photography such as yourself, videography, which mm-hmm. do you do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done writing, you know, freelance before, and that seems to be the, the trifecta of mm-hmm. freelance right there, photo, video, writing, which not to say it doesn't exist elsewhere, but I think that's a good focus for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, there's there's a, a lot of what makes up the independent workforce, right? And, and you know, what, what we're doing as freelancers, we're, we're essentially contract workers. Um so you can be doing that in a lot of different arenas. You know, I, I, I teach a portfolio and professional development class where we have everybody that, from writers to photographers and videographers, but people that also want to um, be contract uh, um, 
production assistants or, or, or directors, producers, a lot of producers actually. I, I, actually, I don't know a single producer that's not a contract worker, right, or a freelancer in that regard, graphic designers, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. So, yeah, it's a pretty big world. But I think yeah. the majority of our students gravitate to those three areas. Okay. Sure. Yeah, so y'all at home, we're going to frame this in maybe a creative-type angle, but I want y'all to be aware of the um, theories, if you will, that we're kind of approaching, such as, you know, thinking about your audience, thinking about your outlets, um, properly putting together a pitch and things like that. Uh, Cause there's kind of a, would you say there's a correct process to freelancing that kind of a, a template step-by-step that you need to take every time? Yeah. I don't think there's a black and white, you know, definitive way of doing things. I think you find the way that you do it. Um, I think the best thing to do when you're approaching, you know, getting freelance work is, is simply presenting yourself as a professional uh, with uh, an attention towards high quality production, uh, whatever it may be. If you're, you know, if you're writing, your writing needs to be high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then also um, a a sense of what relates to uh, any potential client's audience. And that's a big that's that's a big one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's say um, we're photographers, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's your that's your shtick. I feel mm-hmm. like it makes sense mm-hmm. to couch it in that. You got a per, you got a portfolio. Where you, portfolio. And that's, I think, the first step, right, to becoming a freelancer is make sure you have work yeah. and the ability to show your work. I, th- I think it's the, that's the most relevant go-to, right, is to have a portfolio because now, nowadays, in, I mean, for a lot longer than I've been a photographer, um, you, you probably didn't send your resume off to somebody you're trying to get freelance work for. Mm-hmm. You you sent your portfolio. I mean, that was your resume yeah. because your portfolio stresses the the type of work you're capable of doing. Um, a portfolio needs to represent the best of, of what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's a little bit subjective because you have to choose. Uh, now, you can uh, consult with other professionals in the market, your peers, uh, on what might make up the best work that you've produced. But ultimately, it comes down to did I did I put together the type of work that showcases what I'm capable of doing and what I'm interested in doing, um, and you know that's that's a somewhat daunting task, but uh, yeah, that's you know nowadays that's what people want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I told my class the other day that you know, I I can't remember as a freelancer the last time I sent my resume off. Right to to someone. Yeah. In fact, you know, there's probably some clients of mine that would, you know, they they won't they won't care that I've got a PhD. They won't care that I've got a a master's. They just want to see my work. Right. What I'm capable of doing, and so oftentimes the first line uh, of engagement with folks um, that that also stresses a high level of professionalism. Yeah. Usually, the first line these days is like your social media feed. As a photographer, you know, people ask. Do you have an Instagram feed? They may find you through Instagram. Right. A lot of people find me through Instagram. Um, and uh, they see that work first. Uh, and so I have to make sure that that, that work also shows what I'm capable of doing. With right. It, with it also kind of having some narrative appeal, some editorial appeal. But, um, you know, hopefully they end up jumping over to my website and checking out my portfolio and see how it aligns with, with their their needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important sidebar for someone who's focusing on freelancing is making sure your social feeds line up with oh, for sure. your objectives yeah. in the creative workplace rather yeah. than have it being a, you can have maybe a, a personal social account that 
you mm-hmm. like to show your actual life in. But mm-hmm. if you're going to be a freelancer, you need to be have a presence online yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm I'm of the mind that. I mean, I I don't want to I don't want to have to manage too many social media feeds, right? And so I I don't actually use my social media exclusively for personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I it just takes up too much time, you know. Yeah. Of course, I've got kids, wife, you know, I travel a lot, so I don't have I don't have the the time to manage, you know, a, a personal one that shows you like what I ate that day. And I know that's right. a cliche, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Um, unless I take a really good picture of it, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, and it has some some appeal there. Um, and then it goes in your portfolio. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I don't. Um, I, I I'm a big believer in giving yourself the opportunity to to manage that one social media feed that complements who you are as a creative professional. It can be very personal mm-hmm. uh, or personable, I should say, but uh, you know. I'm, I'm all. I'm always. I'm always really sensitive to like what what sets the student up with the highest amount of opportunity, and if it means that you got to ditch that personal account for a little bit at least, mm-hmm. so you can like really uh, dedicate some some quality time on curating your your professional account, yeah. or just changing your personal account to a professional mm-hmm. professional looking and feeling account. That's probably the better choice. It's it's different for everybody, but that's my take on it. That's what I recently did. I, I switched my personal account. I was like, I, no one cares what I'm doing. Let's just yeah. use this People as a care, professional but, tool. But yeah. So. I, mean, <laughs> I think, you know, especially freelancers, you know, they're, they want to, I mean, they've got to make sure that everything they have represents them. Yeah. Um, and um, suggest something about them to potential employers or potential you know, contractors. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. So we're for talk. We're photographers, yep. and we've yep. got our portfolio. We've got yep. great looking work. We woke up at five a.m. for the sunrise, stayed up for the sunset, and um, what are we? Are we cold calling? Are we cold emailing yep. now, or cold yep. DMing now? Like, what? Yeah. What are we doing to get our work out there? Yeah. So you know, there's there's several different approaches. Like as a photographer, or even as a cinematographer these days, uh, in this regard, and 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 a writer. Just about anything in creative practice, you know, the the scenario you're describing is our that we're creating material that we can uh, push out to people for potential use, and we call that stock licensing or stock, you know, photography in this case. Right. Um, so, you know, if we just woke up 5 a.m. and we made it a routine, like, hey, we're going to go create images, um, then hopefully we're creating images of something, right? Something that that we have an interest in, something that somebody else has an interest in. Um, and once we curate a you know a catalog of images on, on something, um, then we can yeah we can cold email uh, is probably the most more professional approach these days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know any number of different clients, uh, the potential clients that could use that that work. When I started. That's exactly that's exactly what I did. I, uh, stock photography was was still pretty strong, um, and stock photography, by the way, is is still strong these days. It, but um, I, I'd, I'd have to qualify that with a little bit more detail, and I'll, I'll talk about it here in just a little bit. But um, but we would just you know uh, back then, even though email was very prevalent, you still wrote letters uh, right. to editors, and so I wanted to work in magazines and. And so I would just write a, a letter to to a magazine, and I'd send them a portfolio of images uh, to to consider. Mm-hmm. And 
Nowadays, it's not not really any different. Uh, we we could um, email uh, a photo editor or an art director for a publication uh, that might have interest in the work uh, that that you have to offer, and uh, that's it. You know, and, and and just send them a link to you know maybe a, a professional looking gallery so they can flip through it really effectively or efficiently, mm-hmm. um, and you know. Through displays of your work in high quality and and uh, make some decisions there. So there, there's that approach for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, beyond sending your portfolio, you can send, hey, I have this collection of images that uh, you might consider useful for your publication. If so, can, you know, is, is there, how can we work out a, a licensing deal on these images? Um, you can do that with publications. You can do that with different creative agencies. So I have, I have a couple creative agencies that I'll just send stock stuff to mm-hmm. sometimes. Like, hey, I've, I've got a, I've got a new, um, I've, I've got a new collection of agricultural images that you might be interested in in, in using. And sometimes the, you know, they'll end up using it. And and creative agencies like ad agencies, marketing agencies, um, even different like nonprofits and stuff. They're used to that enough that if you send them, uh, say, a gallery of images, they they will then consider uh, they'll, they'll have access. That's the big thing. They'll have access to your work, um, and then uh, they have been doing it long enough that they know that if they're going to use something, they'll reach out to you and say, "Hey, we're interested in using this for this project or mm-hmm. this publication or this advertisement, whatever it may be." Yeah, and then uh, then you, then it's between you and the client to determine pricing and that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, that's... What's the concern about maybe people stealing your work on that approach? Yeah, so I I, uh, I don't have that concern. And I know that that is a concern, particularly for students or, or people that are fairly new to this. And I get it. You put your work out there. Uh, well, first of all, anybody can steal anything, right? <laughs> we just got to get over the, the idea. Like, y- you can put your watermark on something, and it doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, you know, you can put your co- copyright in the exit or in the, the metadata on yep. the file. People can people can yank it. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that is out there. Um, and so I, I tell students and, and people that are pretty new to this, like, I'm not all that concerned because I'm vetting I'm doing my part to vet everybody that I send my stuff off to. Right. Um, and so I, I don't encourage people to just send it willy-nilly to just anybody. Like, there's there are clients out there. And then in the writing of any sort of communication, there needs to be, you know, I, I would love to have the opportunity to work or publish with you if there's a chance that we can work out a licensing deal on any of these. So you're, you're, you're in, the, in the communication, you're verbalizing some legal, you know, confirmation or consideration around your work. If you do, if you vet your client appropriately, you should feel relatively confident that you're working with somebody that has done this before. It's not their first rodeo, right? Right. And so they have to, they're going to license things appropriately. They're not just going to steal stuff. And if they did uh, inadvertently or intentionally uh, yank something without your express permission to use it, which your express permission in this case would come through a licensing contract, right? Yeah. Um, then uh, you can call them out on it. You know, right? you can reach out and say, hey, we didn't work out a deal on this. Please remove it Please or please pay, which that's ideally what you'd want. Right. So 
I'm I'm not super concerned about that. I'm not super concerned about it for students either, as long as they are doing, or, or anybody new to this, as long as they're doing their the most they can to vet the potential client, right? That they're sending it out to. Yeah. So in these galleries, they're not public that I'm sending. Like they're, they're password protected, and they're just for that pot- potential client. Yeah, like a a Dropbox file maybe or. So uh, Dropbox is is certainly useful. It's it's become more and more an industry standard to send uh, photos around. I actually use uh, a service called Photo Shelter, mm. and Photo Shelter um, has a bit a bit more functionality to it. So if I send somebody a gallery, particularly if it's a if it's a client where I'm sending them stuff to consider for licensing. So let's say an ad agency. Uh, yeah, and uh, I've got a couple ad agencies that. Again, every four or five months, I'll update a gallery for them, and they they have full access to the gallery, but they don't have they don't have full access to the files. Like they can download very small files just to see if they can just to use for mock-up purposes and things like that. Okay. Um, and then if they make a decision uh, on on a particular photo or something like that, they have to reach out to me and request the full resolution file. Got it. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of the, the the typical process, and and I use Photo Shelter because I can easily password protect things. I can make it, I can tailor the galleries a little bit more specific to to potential clients. Yeah, okay. and there's a lot of backend work like that that you can do. Can you use just Dropbox? Sure, you can password protect a folder on, on Dropbox, and mm-hmm. um, but once you but you can't what you can't do is you can't at least in in my experience you can't. Uh, keep somebody from downloading anything, mm-hmm. uh, especially yeah. full res versions with Dropbox. And so, but I've been using Photo Shelter for probably going on like twelve years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's a subscription thing. They've got a, a, I think they've got a free version of it. But I, I, I go ahead and pay for the. Um, I think I pay thirty bucks a month, and it, yeah. it's I don't have as much storage as I would using the pro version of Dropbox. But it's um, the functionality it is you. I, I don't use Photo Shelter for near the uh, function it has. I, I use it for basically p- peace of mind when I'm sending out galleries. Mm. But you can sell through it. You can, you know, uh, create direct prints and all that kind of stuff with them. All right. Be honest. Are you sponsored by Photo Shelter? No, <laughs> no, never have been. Uh, you know, I've been grandfathered into some some functions because yeah. I've been a long time customer. But no, no, I, I don't. I don't reach out for that kind of. Well, if you're listening, Photo Shelter, we could do this every week if you wanted. And <laughs> That's right. We, yeah. we could slip exactly. your name in yeah, every this week. This episode brought to you by Photo Shelter. Yeah. yeah, which is a form of freelancing, right? Yeah. Finding a sponsor and. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's ways to work out sponsorships or affiliations with folks, and I've been fortunate enough to do that with with certain people uh, and certain really great organizations. Um, could you talk it, about how that came about? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's it, and but I, I will say this: like, it's not something that I've I've not pursued it hardcore. Got it. Uh, because I have I have a I have another job, you know, right? That, that, that <laughs> at the end of the day, if my photo stuff didn't pan out, I I, I keep the lights on. But yeah, but um, the it, it, but I think that's also a healthy approach to to looking or seeking out sponsorships and affiliations and so I you know over the over the years my work you know just the general type of work that I do has garnered some interest in in particular uh, organizations and so I've I've had affiliations or been sponsored certain things over the years from like uh, you know coolers from Yeti to, mm-hmm. to do some you know kind of uh, 
uh, work that kind of cross pollinates both my professional work and my teaching work. And um, right now, I'm an ambassador for RSI Smart Cap, which is actually a, a pickup uh, camper shell brand mm. uh, that's based out of South Africa. Actually, a lot of their manufacturing now has moved to the to Fort Worth and um, they have an interest in the type of work that I do professionally but also again that affiliation with the university Mm -hmm. Um, and then uh, I'm a team rider for Chumba Bicycles and so or Chumba USA which they're a handmade bicycle company out of Austin Texas and um, they they also kind of like RSI are are really interested in what I do professionally in the in the adventure travel world uh, media world but also kind of how that cross-pollinates with what we do in the classroom okay. as well. Yeah. So they were kind of after you. They were Well, yeah, I mean I, I don't I don't ever go asking for these things and, and yeah. um but at the same time it's it's not like they just came across me, you know. That that we we've had we had conversations, relevant conversations. I was already a previous Chumba bike owner. Mm. And so but I, I see I see there, you know, any opportunity to have a conversation about what I do. Uh, is, and especially as it cross-pollinates between the professional work that I do and the classroom work that I do as something that's uh, maybe of interest to folks because I'm, I'm interested in seeking out, uh, I guess, affiliate support for creating student opportunities. Mm, okay. And, yeah. and so uh, I always, you know, if it's relevant, I bring it up. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of how those relationships start. You know, there are certainly, you know, people, especially, you know, full-time freelancers that, that will go after some sponsorship. But to tell you the truth, like, unless, unless they're actually providing money, um, it's not something that's fully worth pursuing because I, I very much love the fact that I'm, I'm affiliated with these great organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I can, but again, I get at the end of the day, I can keep the lights on, you know? Yeah. Uh, some organizations not let's just say this not as many organizations out there are either interested or able to actually financially contribute to an individual right as an influencer or a sponsored you know affiliate to the organization as you might think yeah and kind of going on that i wanted to loop back around to what you're saying about vetting these people so essentially for freelance photography it sounds like make the work find a home for the work well right? yeah and if, then if you're if you're doing stock stuff or if you're pitching things right uh, from from scratch uh but with all these creative pursuits sometimes you just form a relationship with a an agency or a publication uh, without that necessarily as a possibility the licensing thing mm-hmm. in the in the hopes that you'll get assigned mm. and so i've spent i've spent a lot of time in my you know my career as a photographer um going on assignment. I like going on assignment. And, uh, that, that is often the result of either you reaching out to, let's say a publications photo editor, or art director and saying, I'm available for assignment. Here's my portfolio. Mm. And just kind of generating a, a relationship across just communication with them. Um, and, uh, or, or maybe licensing something previously with them. Yeah. And them, feeling confident in what you've been able to produce on going on and going on assignment for them. Okay. Um, so yeah, some, there's, there's a, there's a balance, uh, of activity that you're always kind of able to reference or use in order to promote who you are 
in in the right circumstances. Right. My my first publications were stock photos. I mean, you you can't just email you know uh, the art director at like Texas Monthly and say, "I'm brand new photographer. Send me on assignment or yeah. consider me for an assignment." You can do that, but uh, I've always been able to use the the stock license. Like, hey, I I, I, I know that you're you know, looking for photos of subject X. I have a lot of photos of subject X that I, I hope you would consider for publication. If something works out there, let's work out a licensing deal, or I'm happy to license this to the publication or the marketing agency, whatever it is. And then that opens the door mm-hmm. uh, for them to say, you know what would be really cool is we have this client. We, we need to go get some campaign stuff. I did a, I did a shoot last summer, uh, for for Speed Square, uh, which is a digital marketing agency here in, in Lubbock, they're based here in Lubbock, but they they work um, you know nationally, and, and uh, they uh, St- Steve Smothers, one of the one of the owners, is somebody I've worked with in the past, but I hadn't worked really on assignment with him. He's just used work that I've produced for you know bank ads and things like that, stuff that you use stock photography for. Yeah, and. He he has this client uh, called Ribbon Wire Ribbon Wire Ranch, and they're the, a, a very large organic beef production outfit out of Dalhart, Texas, up in the Panhandle. And I, Steve and I, we know each other well enough that he knows. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm an outdoors oriented person. I grew up on a cattle ranch. Mm-hmm. This kind of stuff is just kind of in line with what I do. And he he needed a catalog of images of that ranch of the products that they produce the activities of it to create this visual ecosystem for ribbon wire or to complement the entire visual ecosystem for ribbon right. wire in their marketing efforts and uh, so it was that he sent me on assignment you know i spent four days uh photographing the the ranch the activities the operations and also some catalog stuff some actual catalog stuff for him um and that whole assignment and that relationship I have with Steve came with me being being open to licensing stuff to them, right? It, yeah. It stock stuff that I would shot over the past 15 years um, with them. Okay. So. All right. So, I mean, photography sounds like have work, but. You can. I mean, that's one side of it, right? Yeah. And then you yeah. can go on assignment. Yeah. And then going on assignment. But shoot with the intention if you're trying to. For sure, yeah. I mean, I've always had that approach where uh, you know a- anything I shoot can possibly be turned into uh, you know a way that I feed myself. Yeah, and so that sounds relative. You know, it sounds kind of exploitive, but at the same time, like that's how a lot. You know, some photographers make a portion of their living, and and I think most creatives uh, or creative professionals uh, they they diversify the way they they generate that revenue. And so one of the ways I do it is through stock photography. Mm-hmm. And then the other um, type of work uh, that generates revenue for me when it comes to production is is going on assignment. Mm-hmm. You know, whether I'm, I have a, a magazine or a, a you know, I, I don't really do a whole lot for newspapers, but news organizations like the Texas Tribune, if they if they reach out and they need something, then, you know, that's, I, I like that. That's kind of what I got into this for anyways. Uh, or you have a, a, a commercial a marketing agency, an ad agency, or a, a comp- just simply a company's marketing uh, uh, representatives, they'll reach out 
asking, you know, hey, would you be willing to go on assignment or can you shoot this stuff for our catalog or, you know, nonprofits also are, are really good to work with. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've worked a ton with the Nature Conservancy um, in, in, in my career. And, you know, the, that's uh, that's one of those kind of dream contract gigs to get uh, for somebody like me who likes to shoot outdoors and, and be in that mindset and also help you know, kind of steward conservation policy and practices and things like that. So, yeah. um, so there's the stock stuff and then there's the assignment, uh, based stuff. And I think those are the two more prominent ways that people diversify yeah. uh, their, their revenue when it comes to both photography, well, any, any sort of creative endeavor. Um, but yeah, for sure. Like, you know, any, any time, this is something I teach my students or tell my students at least is like, anytime you go out, to, to photograph, you know, do so with the intent, the, the professional intent to either grow, um, become better, uh, whatever it is, you know, developing out your style. I mean, you, you don't do that unless you shoot all the time anyways. Yeah. Um, and if you shoot with, with the level of intention, you'll see your self developing that much better, but you're also, you know, potentially, uh, when you're shooting with that level of intention, you're, you're potentially creating things that you never know might be a piece of your revenue. I've, I have images that I license today uh, that are 15 years old. And it may be the first time they've ever been licensed. But that 15-year-old image, you know, might have made me, you know, a few hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, uh, depending on how, how big it is and where it's displayed, it could be several thousand dollars. So, yeah. you know, I, I, it's hard to be specific about numbers. You know, it could just be 30 bucks that it made me. Right. But at the same time, that's 30 bucks I didn't have. And it's 30 bucks that I didn't have at the time that I made that image, but I can keep using it. And that's why we call it residual income. So stock stuff is is pretty nice okay. in that regard. Okay. I'd like to shift away maybe from the specific mediums, for, but I do want to come back actually, because I think videography and even writing deserve a little bit, you know, of sure. focus. But in in our process of talking about the process, we yeah. kind of got into the weeds with photography, which is mm-hmm. great. However, we talked, you mentioned something um, maybe around like the 10 minute mark of the conversation. You said having a routine. Um, like you said, if your routine is, you know, for a while to make work, like get up at oh, 5 a.m. Sure. and create yeah. images. Yeah. Um, and I think that is something like, yeah, you can tell people the process of searching for the publications, uh, researching audience to make sure, you know, there's a need for this photo, video, mm-hmm. writing piece you've made. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the most important things is having, as a freelancer, mm-hmm. because you're not a typical nine-to-five job, you yeah. don't have a boss ne- necessarily, um, setting your own routine and yeah. being persistent and disciplined with it yeah. is perhaps the most valuable advice we might give to anyone who's trying to be a freelancer. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I know you're a routine person. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, no. Based on conversations we've had in the yeah. past. And, um, I get... You know, I, I don't guess I think about it being routine unless I'm articulating it, mm-hmm. and I'm vocalizing it. But, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you you benefit from certain things that you do again with professional intention on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, when I first started out, it was ever, and it wasn't. This wasn't like routinized, as in like it had a set. There was a set schedule to it. But every opportunity I had that wasn't consumed with um, class, because I was still in class when I was shooting uh, for publications. Mm-hmm. Um, if it, if I did, if I wasn't in class, if I wasn't taking care of, you know, say a um, an organizational issue or something like that, I was, I was in the field photographing, mm-hmm. and so 
that it might not look like routine in that it didn't happen every Thursday at 7.30 p.m., Yeah, but every chance I had, I was out making work. Yeah, and and then every chance I had, when say the light was bad and I had uh, you know some gap in time, I was communicating with folks that were relevant to my professional growth and presence. So editors, um, other photographers. Uh, so yeah, I mean there there was just I'm I'm a I'm a I'm an opportunist I guess. So mm-hmm. and even on the micro level, so if there's a gap in time. Uh, that I have just in, in the day, um, I'll figure out what to do with that. And, it, and it'll be directed towards, say, my, my professional work, Yeah, whether it's going on assignment, developing out story, which I think is really has become much, much more important the, the older I get or the later I get in my career, which that makes me sound super old, but I'm not. <laughs> um, He's got gray in his beard. He's lying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's... Um, yeah, I mean, every opportunity I've, I've got there that, that I'm going to use that time, hopefully as as purposefully as I can, Yeah, while still finding a balance to, like, take a break every now and then. Um, but, yeah, routine, I mean, if you if that translates to, to different people as looking more like routine, um, then, yeah. Yeah, I think something, yeah. I think a synonymous word here maybe that might help is expectations set expectations for yourself for sure yeah and you can't just wait for it to come in yeah and you can't have like spurts of random energy where you like send out you know 10 emails to 10 people on one day and then they all come back with oh sorry we're not really looking right now and then you spend two months not sending anything out yeah so it's it's like farming uh or, or or you know grow growing something you know you have to nurture it and yeah you know nurturing a freelance career is is has to have some sort of regular stewardship, right? Yeah. And and whatever it may be, with whether it's growing your portfolio, growing your network, regularly communicating with people that might have interest. Um, and uh, you you know you made a good point. Like it's you can't just send out ten emails one day and then wait an entire month for yeah. them to get back to you while you wallow about the rejection. <laughs> well, right, right. I mean, it's easy and it's easy to like kind of find yourself in that spot, but, yeah. uh, you know, you, it's, it's like, okay, I'm going to send 10 off this week and I'm going to send another five off next week. Right. And, uh, and then just go from there. Yeah. 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 One of the main things I think I've always struggled with, cause I'm not so much a freelancer in terms of, um, videography, videography and photography, mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. I've been freelancing my writing for, you know, years now. Yeah. And, you know, thanks to this college, I've very much, I've, felt more confident in my photo video work lately to do that. Right. But for myself with writing, my biggest thing is just always consistency. Right. And no matter how talented I was two years ago to now, it's because of consistency and the success I've found in publications and um, getting requests from agents and stuff like that. It's consistency because yeah. like you said, I wake up, if I'm on project, if I have something I'm working on, mm-hmm. I wake up every morning early enough to dedicate two hours of my day to writing. And yeah. it doesn't matter what field you're in. If you say this week, um, you know, I expect myself to take five photos or go on five shoots, something like that. But if you have these expectations for yourself, you're going to find your portfolio growing, your confidence growing, and then you'll have a better mindset to start doing what we're talking about in terms of sending those emails and feeling like you deserve to send those emails. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if I think some people like to look at it as if, you know, they're setting goals and you can set a goal to, um, you know, let's say grow your portfolio by five images um, uh, in by the 
in, in the next 60 days. Yeah. Well, then you start developing out, like, what do I need to do to meet that goal? And, uh, or maybe it's to, to uh, you know, in the next year, I want to be able to publish a, a photo essay for, you know, X publication. Well, you, you start laying the ground for for how you do that. You can't wait till, like, month 11 and mm-hmm. finally reach out. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, it's it, it, there's definitely, you know, in the freela- freelancing world, and I don't want to make this sound like there's not this in the full-time employment with an organization world, but um, in the freelance world, there's just there, that cliche, you are your own boss, really hits home right there. Mm-hmm. You're not the only person involved in the process, yeah. uh, but you are the one that's ultimately making the decisions, whether they're good or bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you have the self-discipline to be a freelancer? I think that's the biggest matter. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Time management, self-discipline, being able to communicate well. Yeah. 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 Those are, those are big things that, you know, sometimes we take for granted. You have to do those things for work for an organization too. Mm-hmm. Um, the threat of those things becoming a major issue that affects your performance is heightened whenever you're working for yourself. Let's say that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I kind of talked about, I don't think I've ever talked about myself too much on this podcast. I'm always interviewing great people such as yourself, but I mentioned that, you know, I'm a writer. That's very much what I do on a day-to-day basis. And I think in terms of freelancing, it's almost the reverse of photography, like the actual process in that, for photography, you want to have images. Right. You want to have a portfolio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you're trying to pitch yourself or an idea you have as a writer, you kind of want to make sure you have the publication in your pocket first. You want someone to mm-hmm. be like, yes, we need a story that is like this. Yeah. Rather or have than, a publication in mind based on their audience. Right. Yeah. Rather than trying to do all the work maybe you're gathering four or five different interviews for this thing and then like it just kind of withers away now it's not a waste of time because you got to flex your muscles you got to get some mental work in but i don't know that it follows the exact paradigm of photography freelancing uh no it it can for sure i mean they 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 are so closely associated particularly in the editorial world that you know you can you can go shoot something on spec um and you know shoot a story on spec and and then have a publication or two in mind, you pitch it to them after you've done, say, two-thirds of the work or something like that. Yeah. Um, or a third of the work. And uh, if, they, if they're not interested, you know, your time's not wasted for a lot of different reasons, but in order to capitalize on that time that you spent doing it, it's, it's in your best interest to continue seeking out a publication that may have interest or an organization that may have interest in that, in that work. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you're talking about like spec work, and and that's a pretty common thing to be doing in, in freelance, uh, particularly if you have the time. Um, Can you define and, spec work? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's uh, it, it's it's kind of like a spec home, right? Like when when companies or construction uh, companies build spec homes, they they build a home uh, based on the assumption that there will be interest in it. Uh, interest in, in somebody buying it. Same Got things it. going on with, with spec work. Uh, so you are writing before you have that confirmation yeah, yeah. that someone is going to pay you for it. Yep, exactly. Or you're photographing. photographing. Before, you know, I mean, stock photography in general is spec work, but that's like based on individual images. If you were to shoot a story, well, then that's a series of images that you've just shot on spec. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, uh, every... every um, uh, bikepacking trip that I do, particularly those that are not affiliated with the university. Um, I shoot 
I create a visual story of it because I have a great interest in shooting for especially the adventure bicycling media. Um, and, and so I'll, I'll shoot a trip just as, as if I was assigned to go shoot that trip, knowing that a, I've created nice looking images of good memories or maybe bad memories for that matter. But, um, but I've created these nice images. I'm getting some work out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the gym, essentially my photography gym on, on it. Yep. But also knowing that there's probably a publication out there that could use this. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just being able to identify which one it might be, uh, what their audience is interested in, and then how do we turn this into a story, right? Yeah. Um, and journey, you know, photographing journeys like this, like that, is is actually relatively uh, fun to do, and it can be somewhat general because you can shoot the journey, and then you can reflect on the story itself and how you position the pictures to a particular audience, so on and so forth, and and. And usually, whenever you're shooting stuff on spec, you're really you're pretty familiar with uh, the the world of of publications or, or uh, organizations that could give you an opportunity to publish that work. Yeah. So now I feel like videography maybe lies in a bit of a different realm when it comes to photography yeah. and writing in terms of you know find an outlet, make yeah. the story because you know we have people such as Tanner Fowler and, um, you know, Maddie Walker, um, who they, they go to a bunch of just smaller type events. So Tanner Fowler does a bunch of sports and he used sure. to work in Kansas city yep. and things like that. So he's not essentially making his own content and trying to get it published. Well, well he, yeah, I mean, he, he's probably not shooting so much stuff on spec as he's being sent on assignment. Right. Um, but so it works the same way. Yeah, for but that's video. kind of the nature. Yeah, oh, of course, yeah. that That's kind of the nature of the type of work that he, he produces and he's known to produce and okay. he's produced for people in the past. Um, but there there are a lot of similarities because this is all based on, on the needs of a particular client. Um, and there's, you know, uh, there's... There's definitely organizations that simply just need somebody to go out and make good-looking video. Mm -hmm. You know, they need a cinematographer to go do something, right? And so um, sometimes that's a marketing agency that employs full-time uh, videographers mm -hmm. and cinematographers, and they, you know, they say, "Hey, we, you know, we need we need this NFL game covered," um, and then we're going to put together a hype video after. You know, in hype videos, there's not a whole lot of narrative. It's just really good cinematography, right? Yeah. So the, so the 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 work that you create is almost like stock video, but it's also but it's put together for you know in that within that organization. Yeah, we have plenty of of you know graduates that do that kind of work for sports teams and sports affiliated organizations like what Tanner did yeah. after he graduated. Um, and then uh, so 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 there's that kind of work. I I was called to do that kind of work uh, last year about a year ago whenever uh, Texas got hit with that really bad snowstorm. Yeah. Um. Uh. Uh, a colleague of mine uh, contacted me about shooting uh, some some uh, video for an upcoming wildlife documentary on on bison, and so I spent that entire week uh, just being a shooter, you know. Not, I mean, I, I'm always thinking about the story. Yeah. But they they didn't need me to come up with the story. They needed me to go out and make visuals that complemented the story that they had already developed. Yeah. And and so I spent, you know, a week in the field, you know, knee-deep in snow filming bison. 
um, just doing general wildlife photography work. And, and you know, I, I I can't say who the client is, but but uh, I knew the I know the client's style, and so I tried to emulate that style as much as I as I could uh, while getting uh, the right content for for the the story. Um, so the you know, and, and in the photography world, you're often sent on assignment like that as well. And then, and then there's the, then there's the spec world of, of videography, but it does actually, it does, it can look a little bit different. Um, there's no set way of, of doing this kind of stuff. You know, there are people that will, uh, shoot an entire story, um, and, and then try to find an outlet for it. Mm-hmm. And then it, uh, because video takes so much time though, like it's, uh, it's a real commitment of resource, especially yeah. the time on, especially on the back end and the edit. Oh yeah. That, uh, that you do want to have, a, you know, a, a pretty good client in mind, um, and maybe even like at the least some soft commitment from that client. Yeah, that they are interested in that type of work, if if not fully interested. And so, it, a lot of times in the in the video world, um, if you're a freelancer or if you're part of an organization, let's say you are part of a, a, a storytelling agency that is video centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe like a group of two or three people, you are often pitching a client on a story that you want to tell. And, and in the commercial world, and in the commercial world that I work in, the outdoors, uh, adventure, travel, and recreation world, that's become that's become a, a fairly normal thing, where um, you know a freelancer, like an individual or a group of individuals that are are this kind of collective, this creative collective. They may pitch a, a, a company on a story that they would otherwise be telling in an editorial sense, um, and uh, the company sees value in the story uh, being a part of their brand. Mm-hmm. Yeti Films did they they reconfigured the way we do things uh, in in that regard. Patagonia uh, did the same thing. They started using editorial type stories that were shot really well. Yeah, you know. The story's good, the pro the the, the production is high, very high quality. Yeah, and they use it to bolster their brand. Um, that's a that's a massive thing. In, yeah, and especially, I was gonna say in in most commercial worlds, but probably you know I think everybody's gravitating to to that. Um, and so you see these you see videographers uh, pitching stories a lot more too. Directly to the organizations, yeah, um, and and seeking support that way. In that world, typically you you you're not probably producing a ton of work for them to see beforehand. It's you're yeah. relying on your portfolio, the scope of the work that you've done before, using that and complementing a pitch that you pitch to somebody. Yeah. So, for example, in terms of having a good understanding or a good or soft agreement with mm-hmm. a client before mm-hmm. you even get out there and make this commitment. Yeah. Um, I've currently got a project kind of in my peripherals right now mm-hmm. and with a really talented colleague and our plan is to take a, like a weekend trip and make a kind of trailer right. for this larger idea we yeah. have and then use that as a marketing material for our story Yeah. to yeah. have someone see it and they say, oh yeah, we do want that. We want to mm-hmm. put our name on that or we'll give y'all X amount of money to go make that and you know we can just say sponsored by at the end right. or something like right. that. But then we have that hard commitment, that assurance that yeah, this is going to be yeah. worth our time. Not that 
making great stories isn't always worth it, right? right. If you love storytelling, yeah. it's always worth it. Yeah, but you have to, you, yeah, you have <laughs> but to like, find a balance. It's particularly the yourself. more compli- complex your life gets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you always say, you got to feed yourself, keep the lights on. Yeah, Can this photo exactly. feed me? Exactly. You know? And you also have to you know be able to spend time with family if you've got if you've got a family. You know, spending time with friends is actually an important thing. You know, yeah, we're it talking is. about family just because you know that seems to be like one of the goals of life, right? Is to create a family, but you know, you're being able to have time to yourself doing the things that you, that, that are valuable to you oh, are yeah. good too. Um, but you know, that's a, that's a great way, particularly if you have the time and you can go shoot some stuff. Like you're giving a client a particular look mm-hmm. at the the style, and that helps complement the story uh, that you want to tell. Then then yeah yeah that's a yeah. that's a great way to. It's a great way to use time in a professional manner. Yeah, okay. and the more and the more work that you do, and the more work that you have out there, the less you actually have to go do that kind of stuff because the proof is already there. Like, yeah, it's just like showing somebody your portfolio. Yeah, um, you know, this is what we're capable of doing. This is the story we're interested in telling. Does the potential client that you, you're pitching that story to? like the work that they see that you've previously produced and do they like the story and do they think that your style and that story go together for them yeah yeah i think this little trailer tidbit too is a good workaround of because i can already hear people groaning while listening to this when we keep saying portfolio portfolio yeah and it's kind of like the same paradox of jobs asking for experience mm-hmm. but how the heck do you get experience if you're not going to hire me because i don't have experience right yeah but that's and it's, you know, but that, 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 okay, I, I totally understand that perspective. I, I get where people are coming from on that. Mm-hmm. But if you are committed to working in a field that makes decisions based on knowing you have experience, having produced something, especially in the creative world, mm-hmm. your experience, and like I said, you know, my poor, never once have I had a freelance uh, client ask me for my resume. Right. My experience is all in that all in that portfolio. And objectively, I could never have worked for anybody and developed a really great portfolio. And that portfolio says all it needs to say about my experience. Yeah. yeah. And then my first professional experience is that is that one that was based on this great portfolio. So so getting the experience is it it, it takes a, a commitment of time, but it, it, it's not like this the, the creative the professional creative world particularly if you want to be a producer if you want to be a photographer writer cinematographer graphic designer it doesn't mean at certain levels that you have to have worked for Sony pictures right right or National Geographic yeah it simply means are are you are you able to create the type of work that's necessary and at that point the only the only big thing is like is your portfolio? Does it represent the quality that they need? And is it your work? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> because if you can't produce the level of quality, the, the level of work that you've show, you're showcasing your portfolio on a regular basis, well, then you've created some massive issues for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but, hope, you know, that's not, hopefully the point is to avoid that. Right. Yeah. I think that kind of brings us back to the whole idea of like routine. Like, even yeah. if, you know, you take a weekend to just go shoot some landscape pans, mm-hmm. not for any kind of money at all. Yep. I mean, you can put it into a reel and you can show people exactly. your style. You cannot wait 
on somebody to give you a job. Yes. To build the experience. Yes. You have to, and especially in the creative production world, you have to go do the work. And that's why I tell all, all my students in the portfolio professional development class, but I'm telling all my students in all my classes this, shoot everything, make everything as if it's going to go in your portfolio. Don't look at it as, as, as just a class assignment. Yeah. You're given the opportunity. None of these class assignments are so specific that they will never, ever fit in your portfolio. Yeah. At least in my classes. And I don't know any other class that, that is that specific. Use every assignment that you're given as an opportunity to create work that is going to make you more marketable. Yeah. Because if this is the path you've chosen, you're we assume you're going to enjoy what, what you do for assignments. Um, and so go out and create the stuff that you know is going to bolster you. Um, and that is how you gain experience without having going to get a job doing it. You just can't, you can't wait for it. Yeah. 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 Y'all listen to this, uh, current students here. Dr. Foster was my professor in my last semester as a graduate student, finishing up my master's program. And it was a production class and we were meant to go shoot a short documentary, a short narrative, five minutes. And I went and did that and I committed myself to it. Like he's saying, cause this is what I want to do. I want to get better at it. And through that class project that he administered to us, that submission I gave him is now going to be featured on Outside TV, which is a fairly reputable yeah. channel for you know creators interested in the stuff that he does and I want to do and some of our other colleagues do. But take your class assignment seriously, yeah. like he's saying. Use well, them for out, your... Outside TV was not going to come to you. Yeah, exactly. Because you're not, you're, you're not Jimmy Chin. Yeah. Jimmy Chin's got 30 years worth of... <laughs> experience and he's a well-established name they don't know james loss no that's not to be offensive or anything they don't know jared foster yeah right so you you have to be able to do the work that shows them who you are that's yeah. i mean that's the name of the game in a lot of our uh, professional endeavors especially in the creative production world and so you did exactly what you needed to do you created your own experience based around your knowledge of of, of good narrative, of being able to identify a narrative uh, that was, uh, you know, uh, necessary in a particular space that they were going to push that content out. And so they chose it. Yeah. 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 Well, we are o we're about over an hour here, which I'm not concerned about, yeah, but yeah. we should be looking at um, wrapping up fairly yeah. soon. So yeah. I wanted to ask some broad questions okay. uh, based on the conversation that we have had. So, yeah. and we kind yeah. of have been talking about the search for agencies, publications kind right. of broadly. Right. I mean, how do you, how did you search for those yeah. things? Oh, I've got, I mean, it, it's a pretty well-worn answer at this point, especially for photographers, and especially photographers that are around my age. Um, I wanted to shoot for publications. So I, I, uh, I went to Barnes and Noble and I looked at the magazine rack. I thought who, who here has stuff that, I gravitate to that yeah. publishes stuff that I gravitate to uh, that has stuff that that um, kind of looks similar or maybe inspires me visually, um, and then I uh, and you can still do this. Uh, I, I yeah. I just I didn't buy any of those publications. I, I went and opened them up and found out who I, who it was I needed to contact. And usually they don't print email addresses in in magazines, but I found out you know there's a section in every magazine where you turn the page and. It's usually with a table of contents, and then there's the there's the list of names that are associated with producing that magazine. Now I would just find out who the photo I would find out who the editor was and the photo editor, 
if it wasn't the photo editor, then it was the art director or somebody. Somebody that was in charge of like the visual stuff. Yeah. That was how I started. Um, and uh, I, I simply reached out to people. Now, that's that's one way of doing it. And that's right. one way I started. Another way I started was networking. I, I And I networked a, a few different ways. I took a class from Wyman Menzer. Uh, that was a huge thing for me. And, of course, he and I started a really good relationship. And, um, you know, that, that, that blossomed into a lot of different things, including my job that I actually have now But but um, uh, at, at tech. But uh, networking with people like that who were established, who were basically the Jimmy Chins yeah. of, of the world. Yeah. Not being afraid of creating a relationship or not being afraid of, like, communicating with somebody like that is, was huge. Yeah, um, and I've done that with a handful of people, and 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 over the course of my career, that I feel feel very fortunate to to have been have have established that relationship, and feel, feel very fortunate that I I took the opportunity to reach out. Yeah, because that was the main thing. You mm-hmm. just have to reach out to some of these people, particularly for networking purposes. I started working for Texas Parks and Wildlife simply by walking in their door. I was in Austin at the time. Um, I was having a hard time getting anybody on the phone. And I, it, it, and honestly, it let me, let me understand that these publications they get calls and emails and all sorts of, all the time. Yeah. From people that want to publish their stuff, and you know, I would say probably fifty percent of those calls are people that just want, just want the public. They just want to see their stuff in a magazine. They don't care about the money part. Yeah. Which that hurts the market. But uh, and then another, you know, twenty five percent are people that are are really wanting to to go. To, to make a go at it, but their work's not good enough. And then there's the other 25% that their work's good enough, but because of all the other people bombarding them, it's difficult to get, you know, to rise to the to the top of the, you know, cream or whatever. Yeah. So um, I thought, well, this is a publication I want to be working for. My mentor works for them, uh, and I, I want to be working for them. I can't get a hold of their photo editor. I can't get I can't get a hold of their editor. But by golly, they're a state agency. I can find out where they're based. <laughs> and I found out where they were based, um, and I knocked on the door. That's it. Yeah. And and, and uh, I, I didn't publish anything with them, you know, right off the bat. But I I walked into the door, if and, and, and luckily, you know, because of my affiliation with certain people, including my, my mentor, Wyman Menzer, um, they had a had a a vague sense of who I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I didn't go in like completely cold. Right. Uh, but I'd never talked to any of them before. And I just simply just knocked on the door. And uh, they and, and then I spent the next hour and a half uh, visiting with them because the conversation was good, right? Like being able to build rapport and, and have yeah. being able to have a conversation like you and I are having right now is incredibly important. Um and and so and now I still do that with with them. I, I I will go down to Austin. They're in a different location now, but sometimes I'll just kind of pop in, <laughs> and uh, I always feel like I'm I always feel a little bit bad because I feel like I'm wasting their time when we're like three hours into our visit. But at the same right. time, um, you know that that says a lot. You know, it, it, but it's just being willing to to reach out. You can't do that with everybody, but you you, you just simply can't be afraid of sending out sending an email yeah you know and and presenting yourself as a professional linking into your portfolio and 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 being comfortable with the idea that they may not get back to you yeah they may not like your work they may actually tell you they may not like your work or you may just simply be told no 
um, on a story idea or something. You know, yeah. again, you can you can pitch a, a stock collection of images, or you can pitch a photo essay, or you can pitch a written story. Um, in the freelance world, having a thicker skin is pretty necessary. Oh yeah, I'd say it's yeah. imperative almost. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and you can't get down about it. I mean, no. what you can do is you can convert what might get you down about be- getting a rejection and turning it into the fire that that. Let exactly. you learn how to make it a better pitch, yeah. a better proposal, or maybe finding a different publication. And and uh, I, I completely understand where some people are are very averse to that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if that's what you want to do, you're going to figure out a way to to turn you know those lemons into lemonade. Yeah, I always say the only incorrect response to rejection is quitting. Yeah. Like you can yeah. you can let it roll off your shoulders. You yeah. can get angry about it you can be vindictive like oh i'll show them but as long as you continue moving forward i mean through my pursuits to be like a published author whether it's an actual novel short stories yeah um you know whatever it is i have at least gotten myself over 100 rejections yeah yeah. i mean i have them literally like up on my wall like just kind of as a little token of like you know look how far you've come and yeah like there was one time where i sent my first you know story and since that rejection, you know, I've had three short stories published. I've had agents asked to look at full manuscripts. And yeah. it's like a timeline on those rejection slips of all the progress I've made, even yeah. though I'm looking at rejections. I look, yeah. I look, I'm looking at people who didn't want to see my things, but it doesn't right. mean I'm bad at what I do. Yeah, exactly. It means it wasn't a good the, fit. The story of, of a freelancer is very much the story of, say, a famous actor. Yeah. You're not born doing the things that you're ultimately known for. Um, and, and, you know, a, a freelancer has to be comfortable with, with a rejection, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm thinking of like the, the office characters, you know, uh, in, in the TV, TV show, mm-hmm. wasn't John Krasinski, wasn't he like waiting tables or, or, oh, or something? Yeah. I mean, yeah. but the, how, how cliche is that story of an actor that's waiting tables in LA, mm-hmm. uh, and, and just, that's what they did in order to live there so they could continue going on on uh, uh, casting calls and things like that. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, and what eventually happens is that, hopefully, you know, if, if the, the quality of work improves and, you know, there's a need for, for that particular character or cast member or whatever, um, you start getting more and more pieces. And, and it's the same thing in the, in the freelance media world yeah. in, in a lot of ways. You know, you, you got to be comfortable with the idea that, like, okay, I, I, if I want to be a freelancer – or do you just know that you can be a freelancer? You're probably going to have another job right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You don't graduate in like full time freelance unless you've got a really good handle on how to manage your your money and you know time and things like that. Yeah, but you, know, you might have another job until you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm getting bigger and bigger stuff. It's ready to t- I'm ready to take this leap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I don't know any, especially any photographer that's ever just like come right out. And not had another something going on. Yeah. Right? A day job. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a day job or just another part-time job or, yeah. or something um, that allows them to live the life that they want to based around their their professional acumen, their creative work, you know, their creative passions. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyways, that's – yeah, it's – it's uh, and it's probably because of that rejection um, that you have to start out that way. And, and then – doesn't mean that whenever you get to Jimmy Chin's level, 
that you're not being rejected. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's still work that has to benefit an organization Mm -hmm. to some, you know, whatever extent. Um, but, uh, but over 30, 40 years worth of experience, you start to actually develop a pretty keen sense on what is needed out there. And that, you know, that's a, that's a whole other conversation about, uh, you know, getting work in the freelance world is being able to like identify, um, almost in strategic ways, how your work can fulfill needs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think if you're consistent enough and disciplined enough and you're being honest with yourself about your mm-hmm. discipline, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can look at yourself objectively and say, did I do enough today? Yeah. I think if you do that enough days in a row, mm-hmm. eventually something breaks. Well, and you like, got to grow like, you yeah. know, be, being reflexive enough. And cause I, cause I see a lot of folks that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of frustrated photographers out there. Frustrated, you know, the, fr- the cliche of the frustrated artist is a very, very real yeah. thing, but, um, there's a lot of frustrated people out there that, you know, might go years and, and say, you know, I'm, I'm not publishing, I'm not getting stuff done. And, and, but they may be stuck in that routine because the routine is comfortable, but they have what they haven't mm-hmm. done in that routine is see how they can improve. Mm, yeah. Or see how they can, you know, uh, determine their future in, in a different way. Yeah. That, that's the kind of person that probably needs to quit. Yeah. Uh, they're not, they're not willing to, adjust whatever it, it it may be yeah in order to again improve the quality of their work improve the, the their uh, or, or communicate with the right people network whatever it may be um that that's a that's a real thing out there and so being able to take a rejection or compare and this, I know people don't like to hear this but like compare your work to others especially like other people that are doing the type of work that you want to be doing in the field mm-hmm. and seeing how you can improve. If you can't see that, like it's a, it, it's a harder road to hoe. Yeah. Um, it's already a extremely competitive, uh, path. Yeah. Um, it becomes, you become less competitive if you don't reflect on how you can advance, how you can grow. Yeah. Agreed. Where are we at now? Is that a minute? Hour uh, 20, hour 30? Ooh, I think we just yeah. uh, I've once spent an hour fifteen in here with James Epler yeah. talking about yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. And uh so I think this is the new record. <laughs> yeah. Um well one last question for you. It's super sure. broad by design. Uh-huh. Um what's the most important thing to do to find success in freelancing? If you could grab the one thing, right? The most important thing. Uh, or the largest requirement. Well, you know, you alluded to a, a really big thing that's very hard to to nail down um, in something substantive, but I mean, the the folks that I know that have had success in in their freelance work or as a freelancer, photographers, writers, video, it doesn't matter what they do. They're 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 extremely passionate about, it and they're and they're they're willing to let that passion really rule them. Um, now, I've seen that manifest itself into some pretty detrimental things, you know, for, for people's personal lives. Now that's a, how they manage that. That's, you know, that's on them, but, um, you, you, you kind of got to be eaten, eaten up with it. You know, like I was saying earlier and, and, you know, if, if, if the type of work that I do is, is, is seen as some, having some level of, of success, I'm very, for, I'm very appreciative of the time that I spent 
just going out and photographing for just for the sake of learning my craft better. Right. right? Um, every chance I had, I was out shooting somewhere. I didn't go to a lot of parties. I didn't, you know, the only, I, I was in a band, so I socialized quite a bit, you know, via that, but that was it. Yeah. And, and leadership organizations as a student, stuff like that. But um, if, if it wasn't that, I was, I was always out photographing something. I was working on that craft. I was eaten up with chasing good light, studying color, and shooting things that I was interested in shooting. And 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 in trying to see how it could meet the needs of of, of you know potential clients because I I wanted it so bad yeah I wanted it so bad and uh, you know I think uh, I, I think a freelancer um, any any freelancer I've ever seen uh, with with that kind of with that or much more advanced levels of success whatever you want to qualify that whether it's financially or just notoriety or something or the scope of their work they have been eaten up with it. Yeah. They just let it consume them. Um, and, uh, you know, there's smart ways to do that and there's unsmart ways to do that. But, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know people with mildly addictive personalities Yeah, that if they didn't have the work that they do, the art that they create, their lives may look a lot different, Yeah, you know, and, and they're channeling that, that, personality through their work and and sometimes i feel a little bit like that i i, I wouldn't say uh, you know i have a super addictive personality but at the same time i can see that um uh i mean think about think about all the successful musicians out there that that have lived lives that are kind of not not savory lives yeah um because of because of their personalities but they've also been able to channel that into some of the most profound work you've ever you know, you'll ever see in history. Yeah. There's something to be, there's something to take away from that. There's, there's something about creativity, I think yeah. that fits into that yeah. equation somewhere. Just this is the obsession yeah. with creating something. Yeah. You know? it, it, and, that's totally it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, and, and I've had that ever since I was a, a little kid. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would argue that probably most of these folks have, have as well. And, um, I had a really good mentor. You know, finding a good mentor is also a pretty big thing here. Like Wyman Menzer was an, an incredibly great example. For me and, and a number of other students, I was just extremely fortunate to, to work with him a lot more closely than most people. Will you tell the folks and who Wyman is? Wyman Menzer is the state photographer of Texas. Yeah. And so in 1999, he was designated as, as the state photographer. But he is uh, one of the nation's premier wildlife photographers uh, and kind of transitioned his work into really telling the story of natural Texas. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's, uh, he's been doing it for nearly 50 years and, you know, I, I, I jumped on that train and, uh, learned as much as I could from him. Uh, and part, part of it was probably just simply the work ethic Yeah, that it took. Um, that again, you know, that, that work ethic looks different to some people. Some people are like, man, I wish I could work like that. Other people are like, that's way too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I don't know. I've seen, uh, again, every every freelancer I've, I've seen out there with some level of success has has that. Got to love it. Yeah, you, you <laughs> really got to love it. It yeah. is, it's not just a job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It is, it's a desire. It is who you are. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 
I like that um, we're going to close on kind of a networking tab here with mm-hmm. your making a connection with Wyman and things yeah. like that because um, I didn't even consider this until this morning as I was thinking about recording this episode. But, uh, folks, Dr. Foster and I created this podcast together yeah, about, we did, about we? a year yeah. ago. Yeah. This yeah. was an idea from the marketing department. And every other meeting or so, it would come up like, man, we really could use a podcast. And yeah. at the time... Yeah. Um, I was either just about to finish up my undergrad or just starting my master's degree. Yep, yep. And but in both places I was an employee of the marketing department and I was like, well shoot, I can I'll do it if you guys really want it and then yeah. from there it goes on, but right. now you now took you're that here. opportunity. Yeah, yep. I took the right. opportunity and um the reason I got the job in the marketing department at all is cuz mm-hmm. we got to chatting um a lot in my capstone, capstone course, course for mm-hmm. the undergrad cuz right. you were the professor and I would just asking you questions about what should I do when I graduate and things like that. And we yeah. kept talking and through that, con- I mean, through my undergrad capstone course, that has led me through my master's degree, which had so many great opportunities for me to create content mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. yourself, with the graduate mm-hmm. department, the marketing department. And now here I am an instructor of the college, mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. an employee of the marketing department and surrounded by these amazing professionals who yeah. can s- still teach me so many things, so many great opportunities. And I wanted to touch on that earlier, just the networking. Yeah, yeah it's a buzzword, but oh, it's huge though. It's it, it, you, you know, especially when it's it. genuine and and you know, I I, I met Wyman and I, I reached out to him uh, about this class. I had somebody just tell me like, "Hey, you've got this big interest in photography. You should take Wyman Mizer's Junction Maymaster class, which is the class I teach now." Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I I it, at the time there was like a rumor going around that he only checked his emails on Fridays or something. Like that. So. <laughs> Uh, kind of like walking into Texas Parks and Wildlife, just knocking on their door. I I, I figured my best bet was probably not to email him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he taught a class at Texas Tech uh, every Thursday uh, from like three to six. It was a one. It was a one day a week class, and uh, he he lives two hours away, so he drove in. Mm. You know? And uh, I I found out where it was, and I waited until class was out. And uh, he came out, and I, I knew who he looked like. I'd seen him at a conference that I'd, I'd uh, helped host as a student. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just introduced myself and told him I was interested in, in the photography class that he taught at Injunction. And it just happened to to be the day that his wife was picking up a new car, and she was uh, delayed at the dealership. And so he and I sat down for about an hour after he got out of class waiting on his wife to come pick him up. Now we're going to travel back to Benjamin, and uh, we just sat and talked, you know, and we just built, you know, just like you and I would have talked, yeah, uh, about things, uh, and uh, you know, we went from talking about being interested in the class to talking about our backgrounds, uh, growing up as kids on ranches, and you know, we just kind of saw that we had some similarities and we could get along, and we could talk, and you know, in some ways he was kind of stuck with me, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, at you know. Yeah, I was aware enough that, you know, if he really felt like that, I, I probably would have excused myself. But we were just having a good conversation. Yeah. And I wasn't afraid as a college student to have a conversation with somebody that has had, you know, ha- has some experience in the field, let alone somebody that was, like, famous. I mean, that that's, that's he is famous. Yeah. And and so that, uh, that helps. You know? Yeah. And I didn't come from any, you know, anything that, like, suggests that I I'm, I hobnobbed with all the elites and things like that. I just liked having, I, I came from a ranch and, you know, my, uh, my family, we have conversations. And so I just knew how to have a conversation. Yeah. Uh, 
but that was that was it and that led to i mean that 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 turned me away from law school uh it turned me towards photography media production and also turned me into teaching yeah um and so that one moment you know was was big for me and and so you know yeah don't take don't take uh, for granted the the opportunity you sometimes can create for yourself by simply having a small conversation yeah you know letting people know that you're you're professional in that realm especially here at a university i mean the, well yeah the, i mean the opportunities here are, are boundless the yeah. opportunities are here and if you are someone who is teaching at a university you know in some place like the college of media and communication it's more likely than not that you want to be that person who is helping students find a oh, way. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a part of you that like that's just ingrained in you because yeah. you got drawn to teaching for whatever the reason was. So, hundred yep. yep. percent. The faculty here is here to help, man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I don't know a single person that would ignore uh, ignore a student in that. Yeah, regard. exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's unfathomable. Yeah. So anyway, well, all right, that was cool. hour and a half. There you go. A little bit. All right. Good stuff. Hopefully, new record. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I appreciate it, cool. Dr. Foster. Yeah. Thanks for taking well, the time. No, thank yeah. you for having me. I, yeah. I feel honored to be a part of this, and and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. You were I'm, the harbinger of I'm it. I'm super excited <laughs> to see what you've done with it. Well, no, I think it was just me saying hey, we need a podcast. You, <laughs> you developed the idea. I just needed. I just said, hey, we need something. <laughs> That's so, what I do. I make things. <laughs> yeah, we're well, cool. All awesome. right. Good deal. Well, all right, friends. That will do it for this month's episode of On Communication, and it was a good one, let me tell you. Uh, thank you again to the incomparable Jared Foster for taking the time today to talk to us, and please join us for the month of May as we sit down with Dr. Jamie Banks and we investigate the future of human-to-robot communication and what that might look like in our day-to-day -day lives as well as the highest levels of academia. Thank you again for listening today. I hope you learned something because I know I did.